What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Hey everyone, wow, I cannot believe this is our 50th show at Defining Hospitality. In honor of this, I'd like to do something a little different today with our intro, as we are on the eve of a much-needed HD Expo in Las Vegas next week. For those of you who have not heard of this event, it's basically like the Super Bowl uh, for the hospitality design world. Thank you very much to HD Mag for continuing to put this awesome event on, and to our former guest, our 22nd guest, Stacy Shoemaker-Rowan, and her entire team for continuing to be the glue that binds our amazing hospitality design family together. Our 50th guest is Kristen Connery, the Senior Vice President of Global Design at Marriott. More about her as we get into our conversation in the podcast in a minute. But I just want to remind you that if you are going to Vegas next week, please be sure to check out Kristen's panel along with other luminaries on Wednesday, April 27th from 1130 to 1230 as she and these other experts in the world of hospitality design discuss budget wars project realities, challenges, and trade-offs. Thank you so much, and let's get into episode number 50 of Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is highly skilled at design and an architect by training. She's an innovative industry leader. She's a hospitality design guru. She's the senior vice president of global design for Marriott International. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Connery. Welcome, Kristen. Oh, thank you, Dan. And I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. And um, for those listening, I think I wanted to just introduce everyone to how I first came to meet Kristen, because I believe you were working at Hyatt at the time. And I believe Larry Traxler, who's now at Hilton, I think you were working with him and he's like, oh, you have to meet Kristen. And I got to meet you that way and started doing all this work at Hyatt. Um, is my story correct so far? All of that sounds very true and very plausible. Okay, good. And then um, I, for, I was awarded some big project at Hyatt, and I thought it would be really cool to celebrate um, by going to Alinea. Did I say the name right? Yeah, Alinea. Uh, Alinea, which was this really, I, I don't even know if it's still around in Chicago. It was this incredible restaurant that was like this whole food theater experience Um well, it's, yeah, it's like the Grant Ackett's molecular gastronomy experience. Yes. Yes. And the funny thing is the reason why I don't have the words to describe it is I, you can't make reservations. You had to buy tickets. <laughs> so it's kind of like a show. And yep. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I had some family thing come up and then I couldn't go. So I wound up having the six or eight of you guys go without me there. And you had like an incredible six hour dinner and the host wasn't even there. So I thought that that was like the most interesting upside down turn of a memorable experience of hospitality. Yes. Yeah, so one of, I guess that would be one of my um, strongest memories of my interactions with you and you weren't even there. <laughs> it was so a really memorable dinner. You missed a really, really good dinner, Dan. Uh, I'm so, I still miss it, but I also think the story of like, doing this big to do dinner of this total long experience 
and really pushing the envelope in cuisine and then having me not even show up there made it even all the more interesting. Um, it does. When you think about like, how long was the dinner and like, what was your most memorable experience from it? I heard stories like you put on a blindfold at dessert and have to inhale a pillow or something like that. Yeah. So it's very, it's a very kind of sensory experience and it starts when you walk in, they, and they, they change their menu seasonally. And I really, I've only been the one time, so I've only experienced one time. Thanks to you. Um, but yes, they do things like there's the pillow that deflates and you smell things. There was what, what's most memorable to me. I think there were like 18 courses, so I'm not going to remember all Whoa. of them. Um, although I think I was sent home with a beautiful record of all the things that we had that evening. That's part of the takeaway from the experience. But one of the things I remember the most was the dessert because they bring out this sphere of chocolate and they fill it, they pour, I guess, like liquid nitrogen into it. And then they take this, this frozen bomb and drop it on the table and it explodes across the table. And then they paint it with different sauces and whatnot. So inside of that sphere are, are desserts that end up kind of freezing with the liquid nitrogen. So there were like ice cream pieces and waffles, something. And then they, and they, they covered the table before that with this mat that then became the canvas for this, this, you know, dessert art that they make. And then you make a mess of you all just with your hands and whatnot, just kind of eat off the table and take pieces that have exploded and dip them in the different sauces that they've painted on and whatnot. So it was very, that was all very memorable. That was kind of the most dramatic, but the other thing that was really memorable about that night was the service um, was a really amazing mix of formal and casual The the waiters. And I think they were all men that we had that evening had such a fun dynamic and rapport with one another, just kind of playing off one another. And they were kind of making fun of one another a little bit too. So you're in this, this very sophisticated environment, but they're having fun with it. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but what they're doing is incredibly serious, right? This is sort of like the height of, of molecular gastronomy and, and all very much a, sp a spectacle, but they were part of their personalities, I think were very much a part of what the experience was supposed to be, which was very cool. Oh, I really wish I could have been there, but I'm so glad you had a, an amazing time. I did. Time. <laughs> I did. There were a bunch of tall waiters and one of them was kind of short and they kept making fun of him and his short arms that he couldn't <laughs> that he, like, oh. reach across our big table of, you know, all eight of us there without you. Oh, well, I'm glad it was memorable because actually I think it's a really great launching point into our conversation today because, you know, you've had, you've been on such a journey yourself. You're, you're talking about like a culinary yeah. journey, but just also your your career journey, and then also just in the midst of a pandemic and making this huge change and winding up where you are at Marriott and thinking about that, like, as you said, the idea of formal and casual and just having fun with it. Like, tell me about like what drew you to this incredible position that you have now at Marriott leading their design. Oh. So one of the things I always say is just my heart belongs to this industry. And I am, I have that like crazy irrational love for it. Um, and that's for, for our whole world of hospitality. And I have spent, as you know, the, the majority of my career in it. Um, but Marriott in particular, you know, so you mentioned at the beginning of this, I started you, you and I met when I was at Hyatt. So I did spend 
over a decade at Hyatt. And, um, and that's where I, you know, I learned about and learned to love the, our world of hospitality. But when I was at Hyatt, I had the opportunity to kind of watch Marriott from the outside as a competitor and companies are very different, very different scales and very different approaches, both evolving tremendously and have evolved tremendously. But one of the things that I kind of saw from the outside and admired about Marriott was um, the sort of transformation that they were going through and the commitment that Marriott had and the capability to execute on innovation, new ideas, growth. Um, so like, I remember um, spending, when I was at Hyatt, spending a couple of days camped out down at the Marriott Charlotte Hotel, the beta, the our our Marriott Beta Hotel down in Charlotte when when Marriott was testing new ideas for the Marriott brand, and you went in there and you could interact with um, the different experiences and give feedback and all that. And to me, I was like, wow, they're really they don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk, and they have the ability to do so to invest in these things to really put innovation and new design ideas really at the forefront um, and guest facing, which was very exciting. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, you couldn't get on an airplane without seeing Marriott commercials for Fairfield and Courtyard and whatnot. And, um, you know, Marriott just seemed to be everywhere. And Marriott really is, a, um, in a very real way, has kind of defined the hospitality industry and has led the hospitality industry and is very serious about continuing to evolve um, and is committed to the future of our industry. So it, it, it's an incredibly exciting place to be with such rich history and legacy. And with that comes some kind of weight and there's challenges that come with that. Um, but with definitely an eye toward the future and it's really exciting and inspiring. Yeah. And so hearing you say that in like in our original conversation where you just kind of light up about all these people that you're surrounded by, right? Yeah. Um, and the feeling I got from you is they're all experts from just not even necessarily hospitality. They're industry experts from every kind of job you could imagine that are coming there. And then there's this like passion that's going through it. But tell me about, or tell me, tell us about some of these varied, um, I, I guess, colleagues that you have that just bring not only expertise, but just different perspective to what you're trying to do and helping you accomplish your mission. Sure. Yeah. So there's amazing, uh, amazing people here that I've gotten. So, so, you know, I joined here, maybe I should mention that I joined here in December of 2020. So my experience with Marriott has been almost entirely virtual and it's remarkable that I feel as connected to the people as I do. And I think that's a testament to the culture and the people here and their willingness to embrace someone new like me. Um, and for me to feel that for me to be able to say that, to know as many people as I do well enough to be able to say that, I think, um, also speaks volumes about who they are. But when I think about the people here and, um, one of the amazing things about working at a company like this is there's the influence of our core business, what we do, uh, which is hospitality. And I'm talking about the operational side of hospitality. So the people who have, come through and done all the jobs essentially in the hotels and have spent their careers in, in this world of hospitality 
and the influence that that has on the culture and the style of leadership and the way people treat people is really powerful. So you have people who have known the names of every person who has worked in a hotel from the engineer to the housekeeper to an assistant manager, you know, all, all the ranks up through general managers. You have people who take such pride in the experience of people. It's just such a people first mindset. And I know so many companies that I met pretty much every company out there talks about being people first, but I feel like we have the opportunity to, to really be people first in a way that some other industries don't. And that comes to life in the corporate setting where I exist as, you know, in the architecture and design world, not out in the field. Um, but the influence that that has is um, it's very palpable. And so I, it translates into really taking the time to know your teams to invest in others, to know all the owners, to know the networks of people who make this all happen. There's also just a very kind of human and humane quality to the, to the culture um, and a, a sort of refinement of people skills and soft skills, such a strength of people skills and soft skills that I think you don't always get in other places that translates into something. I think that's really special. And I have had the opportunity to kind of be on different sides of the table and I have felt that difference. And it's one of the things um, that the people in the world of hospitality, I think, make so, it. Uh, thank you for sharing that because one of the things that I found, and I've been in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hotels, not just supplying furniture to them, but also going in and helping coaching them on safety. And every hotel that I've been in, it's always people first. You go into the back of house or heart of house, whatever you want to call it. And they have there's some core value that's people first. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many I've been to where it's people first, but then you go into the break room, for instance. Yeah. And it's like a war zone and I wouldn't eat in there. And it's just there. I think oftentimes people or companies or organizations use that people first because, okay, yeah, we, we're nothing without our people, but I don't think that they really live up to that value because when you really get in there and you see what's going on, it's not, it's clearly there's a disconnect. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I love hearing you say that like, not only looking from the outside in, you're hearing and feeling that and seeing, but now that you're in it, you're seeing it and experiencing it. And I also think about you joining in December, 2020, like, a hero of our industry is Arnie Sorensen. And he oh, yeah. wound up passing away, I think it was February, 2021. So you were really only there for a couple of months with like one of the supreme leaders and I people know. of our industry. Yeah, I only had about three, a little over three months overlap with Arnie while he was still here. And it was very sad. I had time set up to meet with him one-on-one -on -one as part of my first kind of 90 day onboarding. And I remember the day that that meeting came up and it was a couple of weeks after he passed away. And it was, it was a very sad moment to think that this was, this would have been the opportunity to meet him. I actually did have the opportunity to shake his hand. Mm -hmm. um, before I was at Marriott, he was speaking at the economic club of Chicago. When I was still in Chicago, he had given a speech there and he, he is uh, just an effortless 
speaker. And I think you hear everyone say that about him and his sort of warmth and authenticity always comes through. And he was, he's a tall guy, he has these big hands, big warm hands. And I remember uh, introducing myself to him afterward and he shook my hand and he had that very genuine, warm smile. Um, obviously, you know, I had no idea I would end up working for him and his company uh, some years down the road, but I, I do feel lucky that I get, did get to meet him, but I did not get to spend time with him. When I joined oh, here. Oh, that's a shame. I've actually never met him. Uh, I've been around him at many times, but never. And all the people, like so many people that I respect, trust, and love in our industry, they, I've never heard a bad thing said about. I've never heard anything less than ex excellence when when uh, they speak about Arnie. And I feel like it's such he, he's such a missed force within our industry, and it's left a void. But at the same time, you know, we're, you're you were saying it, how this is such a great time of transition for Marriott, yeah. Mar for Marriott. And you think about not just in the change of leadership and also the bringing in of the new people, but also just moving from Bethesda out in an office park to downtown Bethesda. Yes. And just thinking about this huge, like there's so many different transformations. And I, and I feel like, Arnie is such a part of that because all that stuff happened while he was still with the company. Right. He was very much a part of, you know, putting that plan into action. Our new headquarters will very much be a tangible piece of his legacy and will embody a lot of his vision for the company um, and where he was positioning us to go forward. And you probably had heard we've got, so we have our headquarters and next to it, we have the new Marriott Bethesda hotel, which is beautiful and open and you should come visit. Yeah. I've been there when it was a, when it was a job site. So Berman Falk, who I work with, they actually supplied all the furniture there, but was that, was that Arnie's last model room review that he was involved in or one of his. He was definitely ones? involved in that model room review. I don't know if that would have been his last one, um, mm -hmm. but a very meaningful one, obviously, of course. And the plaza that's between the two buildings has been dedicated as the Sorensen Plaza, which will be open to the public, um, will obviously be a wonderful place for all the Marriott associates and our Marriott guests, but will be very much a part of the Bethesda downtown landscape. Really? Yeah. So, and also thinking about this, I just had to look it up, but the Marriott Sorensen Center for Hospitality Leadership um, I had a guest on who is a graduate of Howard University, Damon oh, cool. Lawrence, and he said that there's this huge gift um, that it's... the Sorensen family left with with Marriott with Marriott to really help grow their um, their hospitality program as well. So his impact is just being felt in so many different ways, shapes, and, and forms. that yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know the the Marriott Sorensen um, the endowment that was made at Howard University, obviously. It's we, Marriott and Arnie Sorensen wanted to bring up the best next generation of hospitality leaders, but clearly that's not just for us. These people don't just graduate and come to us. This is to the benefit of the industry. And so when I talked about Marriott really leading the industry and looking, looking out for the future of the industry as a whole, I think that that's one of, you know, that's a very large um, example of how they're making that happen and the commitment to the, the future of what our whole world of hospitality is doing, not just merit. And I think that that's a really, I don't know, it's just like a really beautiful and powerful statement, I think. 
Totally. And I just from what uh, Damon's talking, I've had some conversations with him, just sounds really exciting. And if you think about our industry and just kind of what we've been through and where we're going, I still firmly believe that no matter what you learn from training or within our industry, and then you get a job or you start a career that whether you like hospitality or not, the skills that you're going to learn oh, are transferable. Transferable everywhere. 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 And if you do wind up loving our industry, you stay in it. And because so many people have left because of COVID, now the, the career path trajectory is so incredibly steep. Yeah. Um, so in hearing you talk about and watching you just light up talking about um, just different kinds of hospitality. So from Alinea, which is like over the top, crazy theatrics to shaking Arnie Sorensen's hand to what you're seeing now with your teams and being inspired by others. How do you define hospitality as, as you, Kristen? To me, hospitality is that spirit of generosity. And it's when we anticipate and we delight people and we do it in that really selfless way that it delights us to do so. And it's funny because you were talking about that first story, the Alinea story. And in some ways that's such a perfect gesture of it because we had this amazing experience and you were so thrilled for us to have it. And you delighted in our delight and you weren't even there to have it yourself and you still delight in that delight. So I think that spirit of generosity and just finding such satisfaction in delighting others is really what's at the heart of hospitality. Yeah, that's, I mean, I really still would have loved to have been there, but I, again, the fact that I, I was able to, or not, I was able, I still get joy out of the fact that I wasn't there because I don't know. It's just like, it's so funny. Because you enabled an experience for other people. Yes. And like that, that's what hospitality is. And you kind of, you, even though you set up the whole thing, kind of take a step to the background and let other people enjoy it and delight in it. Like that, that's, that's hospitality. It is. And I think, you know, as I hear you say that also, and, and you know, we're, I don't know, I don't know if we're 60 or something podcasts into this into me doing this defining hospitality thing. What I love about it so much is that I'll do these conversations with, with you or in others. And it's really just bringing out all the learning that, that my guests have on, or that our guests have on where we just are able to learn and delight in what you guys are saying. It's coming out and then it's kind of helping shorten the journeys of other people that are listening and kind of helping fill in the blanks on such a wonderful niche of an industry. And it's, it's about making, I, I don't know, it's like completing and or telling all of our stories. And most of the time we don't get to tell our stories in a very like listened to way, right? It, 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 if you really think about the built environment and what we're all designing, the best ones are some oftentimes are the ones where you don't notice anything it's like it's just everything is perfectly in place and designed just well and it serves this i don't know it creates this environment where you're just kind of going through and just having these imprints of what you're doing but it's nothing is like jumping out at you right it's just it's almost right. like you just feel uh encased in this warmth and you're all around this hearth and sharing stories 
And um, I don't know, oftentimes the best work that we all do, it just goes unnoticed. Yeah, I think, um, well, it sets the, it essentially like sets the scene or sets the framework for you to have amazing, have an amazing time or have an effortless time or just have that feeling, like you said, of warmth, of welcome, of comfort um, without it being too in your face. But there's going to be sometimes when you want things to be a bit in your face and you want them to just kind of like wake you up and make you think differently. And, th- and that's why you look at, you know, we've got 30 brands. We have 30 different ways of creating experiences for people um, depending on what they're looking for and where they're looking for it. But I think what you're describing is that when all of the, when all the stars align, so you're talking about sharing stories. One, um, one that always stands out to me. So I have spent most of my career, as I said, in the world of hospitality design. So design architecture, I'm incredibly passionate about it. I think it matters. I think it matters tremendously to create the experiences you're talking about, but one of the most memorable and kind of powerful statements someone made, or maybe I'll say like a lesson that I learned. Um, So someone said that design can never make up for bad service. So when we're talking about how important people are and that sort of service mindset that's at the heart of hospitality, this really gets at that. Um, It was very powerful when it was said to me. And in some ways it sort of like knocked the wind out of me because I was this architect, this designer and a hospitality company. And to hear this leader of the company say that you will never differentiate yourself truly on design and it's all in the service and design cannot make up for lacking service, but but great service can make up for a gap in design. And so when you think about our hotels out there that need to be renovated, but you have amazing teams bringing these experiences to life, making you feel so welcome, that will, you know, 99 times out of a hundred be the most important and most influential aspect about your stay and how you feel like that feeling of warmth and welcome. But when you have all the stars align and you have amazing design and you have amazing experience, I think that's when you get that, that really magical feeling, uh, that's kind of the best of what hospitality has to offer. And when I say that, I want to, I want to make sure that I underscore that the message is not that design doesn't matter because it absolutely, it absolutely does. But I thought that it was a moment of kind of humility and introspection about what it is that we do and how it matters or kind of where it ranks in mattering. And it really, there's still the people part of it comes first. And to me, that was, it was kind of eye-opening and powerful, but I also sort of loved it because in some ways there are, there's, there are constraints and realities about our world of design. And I think right now at this period where we're coming out of the pandemic, we're coming out of these financial constraints with all of our partners, our owners and whatnot. And we're thinking about, you know, how can we still deliver these amazing experiences for our guests? How can we still do what we've all set out to do? And that's where looking at our teams and our people becomes ever, ever more important um, as we all get back to, to the good work of design. And I totally agree. And, and a lot of these conversations um, that I'm having with people 
with respect to the built environment. And you look at just how it was all about survival mode. Cap, capital expenditure budgets were severely yeah. diminished and continue to be as we are treading water and now coming out of this. It really came down to the teams on site because a hotel that might have been due for a renovation or just was threadbare or needed some help, some TLC, it just physically and mon- and financially wasn't possible to do the work during the pandemic. But the, it was really about the teams that made things memorable. And I know, and, and a lot of that is also just accepting the fault, right? You check right. in, it's like, hey, you know, we, we, we don't have... Um, housekeeping services, you might notice that blah, 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 isn't just right, but you know, we're doing the best that we can. And what can we do to like turn the volume up on what we're doing to make your stay more enjoyable? And, and again, it's just that it's accepting a role in it. It's, but it's also having a plan and saying, Hey, we got you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. There, our teams out at the hotels have, um, have been having to uh, live that, you know, service making up for sometimes a gap in where we'd like to be with design. And and that's very much a part of where we're at right now. But it's also an exciting time because we've got, you know, these next few years will be very interesting as we get back into the swing of things with renovations. And I think with all of this, they always kind of try to find the silver lining in these really challenging and kind of devastating experiences that we've had, but there are silver linings. And I think one of them, as it relates to design and the constraints that we're under, and as designers and architects, we kind of thrive with constraints. You have to, you know, it's almost like if you take away all the boundaries, you become, it's almost you're floating and it's kind of hard. And so when you're given these constraints, what I think it's forced us to do and to do with our owners is to really think critically about what does matter for each of these brands. So if we are looking to create that, incredible, unique, differentiated experience. What is it that really matters and what has the most impact? Because right now we don't have the luxury to just say everything. We really have to dig into the details of our data. We have to really understand the return on every one of those dollars and be expert advisors and be great partners and do right by our guests and do right by our owners and do right by our brands to say, this is the best use of our money right now to have the most positive impact on the business, on the guest experience and on the integrity of each of the brands. And I think that that's only going to serve us well as we go forward, because we're gonna be more focused. We're gonna have a clearer vision of what's important, what's really important, what's a non-negotiable for each of these brands. And I totally agree with you that constraints is where the magic happens because it, yeah. it forces us all to be super supremely creative. I'm in a group of entrepreneurs and we had uh, we meet monthly and we just brought in some new members. And as an icebreaker or just to get to know each other, I said, okay, you write your write your life story in the next 20 minutes in 400 words or less. Uh-huh. And we all sat there yeah. and it, and we just we all had our word processor up where it was counting the words in 20 minutes. And then we read them to each other. Yeah. And it's funny because the last time I did that was in 2018 and it totally changed. Um, everything was changed. And if I think about between 2018 and here we are in 2022, it's amazing. Like if I really sat down just to write and think about it, it probably would have gone back to elements of what I did in 2018, but 
I think just the constraints and just knowing that time is ticking, something really cool and interesting came out that now I'm thinking about like, yeah, where do we go next? Like a little bit of pressure totally. to bring out the best. And you know, the old adage of like, you'll fill the time you have. So if you're given, if you were given three weeks to do that, you would have got it done, you know, at two weeks, six days and 23 hours or 23 hours and 59 minutes. And 100, 100. I, I would have, that would have, yeah. that would have been me. Um, but if you're given 20 <laughs> minutes, you would do it in, you would do it in 20 minutes. The other thing, as you said that it's also like, I'm sure you've had the experience where you, you know, you write something out, maybe it was for school and maybe it's a long email and it disappears somehow, like it crashes it, whatever, and you have to do it over. And it feels like such a burden, but in the end you do it better because you're kind of editing it as you go through and you're remembering just those parts that were, that were the most important and not the flourishes and not the, you know, not the kind of extra stuff. And so that's, yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah. And that's also like, when I do write, I don't like writing with a word processor, right? I like to write, oh, I write it with Microsoft word or Google docs or whatever, but then I actually print it up And then I rewrite it again and make all the changes. So it actually goes through the whole process again, rather than cutting and pasting, because again, I want to put that through my whole filter. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you. So you, I have lots of questions for you, but um, you graduate from college, you get in architecture and then you, you started doing historic preservation. You went out to Bulgaria. <laughs> so, yes, I did. I went to Bulgaria. Okay. So that is so different from what you're doing now. How did you go from there ah, to then working as yeah. a, as an architect in the States and then finding your way to hospitality? What, what was that? The, the initial part of your career journey, how did you wind up into getting into hospitality? So my first job out of school, I moved to Chicago. I went to university of Michigan to the architecture school at university of Michigan. And like many Michigan grads moved to Chicago and I moved, it was August of 2001. So it was, it was like a week oh. before nine 11. And I, um, I started working. I had a terrible job. I worked at a bar by Wrigley field, but it wasn't even like a real good bar job. I was like selling t-shirts. I was like the souvenir girl. So I can't believe I'm even like confessing that to you on this. <laughs> We all have a start. <laughs> this is humiliating, but you know what? You should do all the jobs. You should do all the bad jobs and um, all the jobs you can. They're all good learning experiences. I, um, I, I, I organized that souvenir shop and increased sales because uh, it was kind of a disaster before. So there's my, there's my, uh, my win there, but I did end up getting a job kind of against all odds in that, in that crazy time of 2001, um, And I worked for a very small firm and we did a lot of high-end residential. Meanwhile, I was living in like a little shoebox of an apartment and working with these amazing clients. We had absolutely amazing clients. So a lot of high-end residential and bars and nightclubs. And our clients were um, a lot of the main players in Boys Town in Chicago. So the gay seat in Chicago. So awesome. Um, I mean, talk about people who truly, truly live, breathe, the spirit of hospitality and generosity. And I think before everyone was doing kind of design thinking and data analytics and understanding your target guests, and these people were talking about it. And so I learned a lot about the residential world and, you know, that very kind of high touch thinking through every aspect of a person's experience in a space. 
And then kind of paired that with the food and beverage work with bars and nightclubs. Um, so I had kind of the makings of these important aspects of hospitality design, but not all put together. Um, and then I took that, I, I took a little hiatus and detour and did some preservation work in Bulgaria. And that was before I sat for my architecture exams. And I wanted to have, you were allowed to, to get some of your hours, log some of your hours internationally. And since I had the freedom and ability at that point in my life to do so, I did that with the International Council of Monuments and Sites. And Bulgaria was one of the, one of the architectural sites. They also do archaeological sites. Um, that's but it through was, the United Nations, correct? It's um, it. So the one that I did, so the International Council of Monuments and Sites is an organization. The, the work that I did for this historic home in Plovdiv, Bulgaria, had a grant by the Japanese um, division of UNESCO, I believe, had given money for the preservation of these homes. So I went there and this, this could be like a whole nother podcast. I can tell you about my experiences. In, oh, good. We can get in, you back. For that in, in bulk area. I, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, I kind of showed up in this country when you're not with a group, you're not with anyone. And I like found a place to live. I didn't. And this was like, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a laptop. I worked out of the computer lab and at the university of Sofia and like made friends with the guy who ran the computer lab and, um, could work off hours. And anyway, so, uh, I did that and then came back and I went back to the small firm I had left and I didn't necessarily have the intention of doing that, but one of the guys, one of the principals of that, and this, when I say small firm, I mean, small, like six people total, oh, wow. three of them being principals. So it was a very, very small firm. But what was awesome about that is I worked hand in hand and pretty much exclusively with just one of the principals. And I, I learned a lot from him and he was so masterful with relationships with people. So these residential clients we were working with or these relationships with the, with the hospitality. What, what was his name? His name was Ed Weber. Ed Weber. Ed Weber. Yeah. So we had just a fantastic oh, Gibbons, time. Fortman, and Weber. Yeah. Gibbons, Fortman okay. and Weber. So there were three, three principals, Scott Fortman, Richard Gibbons and Ed Weber. And I worked a lot with um, Ed Weber who ended up leaving the firm. And that was part of what prompted me to take my next step in my career um, and pointed me in the direction of hospitality. And there was a guy who worked in this, this little firm is actually kind of funny. This like little firm at um, in Chicago has put out some of <laughs> some of the like leading people in our hospitality design world and they don't even do hotels. So I met there and he was actually one of my mentors, John Meister who after leaving, he left Gibbons, Foreman and Weber shortly before I did. And he did his own thing, I think for a while, but he came to Marriott. And so he was working at Marriott at the time that I was thinking about taking my next step. And he said, Kristen, I think you might really enjoy hospitality when you, it, it brings together so much of what we did on the hospitality side and the, the bars and nightclubs um, and kind of brings it all together. And it's kind of fun to work on the other side of the table. And so at the time I lived in Chicago, so I talked to Hyatt. I also talked to Marriott, um, but being in Chicago and Hyatt was at a moment of reinvention there where they were rebuilding or kind of building from the ground up a new architecture and design team for North America. And that was just one of those things where the timing just aligned. I, you know, was 20, 
some late 20 something year old, I sent my resume into what I thought was like the black hole of, you know, a website and lo and behold, got a call and I actually got a job and then worked there for over a decade. But it was because of John Meister that I really looked seriously at the world of hospitality. And then fast forward a few years, I don't know, five or so years later, John Meister ended up coming to Hyatt from Marriott and John Meister now leads the Hyatt Place and Hyatt House team, the select service team for Hyatt. Um, and Emily Kipe, who worked with me at Gibbons, Fortman and Weber joined my team on the North America side. Now she leads the, she's kind of my counterpart, if you will, for the full service team um, at Hyatt. So this tiny little architecture firm in Chicago has, uh, has put out, you know, three of the the hospitality design leaders in our industry. Yeah. And then if you throw in, I guess if you take that one and then you look at like a Jordan Mosier or someone like that. Oh yeah. All the people that, like it's. Uh, yeah. So Jordan, right. So part of my time at Hyatt, Adam Lara, who oh is still God. a dear friend. You should talk to him one day if you haven't. He's over yes. at uh, uh, KTGY Simeone. Simeone yeah. Yep. Um, so he was. Uh, and Larry, obviously Traxler, um, part of the Jordan Mosier world and Mike Sumi and uh, Mike Sumi yep, there? Um, meeting with him later this week. We're doing a panel discussion together. Oh, good. Jay Picot was there for a little bit too, I think. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So Chicago. Yeah. So our, yeah, our world of hospitality design is a close knit one. We have, we have a lot of crossed path, crossed paths. And then, okay. So, so, then, so you- then, so then I was at Hyatt. I worked in the, um, I worked in the North American kind of execution world, working on new builds, renovations. And it was really fun. It was so fun. It was so much work. I mean, you, Dan, this is when you and I started hanging out and doing stuff together and you knew our crew there and it was just like a ton of crazy work. And I just learned a tremendous amount And it was one of those times similar to like the little firm I joined out of college that when you're in these places that are like small and you're, you're just sort of thrown into the deep end, whether you're ready for it or not. And they're like, well, swim, right. There's no one here to catch you. So just go and had so much fun learning. And that's where I, you know, just like kind of fell in love with our world, got to know all of these wonderful people who inhabit this crazy world of ours, um, how this whole thing works and found that I absolutely loved it. And then moved into a global role at Hyatt, worked on the strategy side and the execution side, went from full service to select service. So really broadened my exposure and experience in the world of hospitality, got, you know, added more facets to what I knew. I went back to business school, which. Well, um, if you also was, think about, um, oh yeah, you got your MBA too. I but did, if you, yeah. If you think about um, constraints, and going yeah. from full service to select, select service. Yeah. I mean, and then the, just this, the, you work within those constraints from full service to select. And then if you think about the all the select service and the amazing options of select service that have come out in the past 10 to 15 years, whereas you, if you contrast what we have now and kind of all what those laboratories of constraints have come up with and yeah. contrast it to what was there 15 years ago, it's unreal. And I think all that, cool growth and progression and evolution came from really intense constraints. Yeah. And there was, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of competition. There's so much that happened in the select service world over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And the design sophistication, the expectations of guests and the brand's responses. And so you look at, you know, Marriott and then acquiring Starwood and the influence on the design world here, you look at, um, I, I found it to be very encouraging and inspiring that from sort of the bottom up, there was this, this like elevation of design. And I think there's a lot of things that go into that of in here in the United States in particular, I think that there's, um, very highly evolved design cultures in a lot of countries. And I think our country has its own sort of pace and ideas about design. And I, I feel like in our careers here in the, in the duration of our careers, Dan, we've seen, we've seen that kind of um, baseline elevate. And when you in, look in America at, in particular, in the U S yes. I, and I, I think you see agree. it, right. Like there's companies that obviously have influence on how we all look at and think about design. You look at Apple and you know what they do. You can even look at like Ikea and what they've done. And you look at partnerships that Target has and you think of you know how design for the masses, there's, there are brands who have brought more design sensibility to you know, broader consumer bases. And I think that's kind of exciting. And then you look at how our world in hospitality design has evolved and the sophistication and expectations of design and the innovation that have, there's a lot of innovation that happens in the select world and then moves out of it. A lot of the adoption of technology um, totally. happens in our select world. Um, and talk about constraints, right? What's going on with, um, you know, how small can you get a room, pod hotels, and then the innovation and construction that happens with this with modular construction or other kind of semi-modular things. And a lot of that starts happening because you've got product that can do it. You've got owners who are open to it. You have timelines that are a bit more forgiving. So it's a really exciting space. Um, and I think there's a lot of innovation that can be exported from an experience and from a business perspective. Like the business models are tight and there's a lot of discipline in this world that is incredible. I totally agree. And again, uh, uh, from the, the business model, and that's kind of where I was thinking of the constraint on the select service. I mean, these development budgets are super tight, but the, the end result and the guest experience and then that laboratory for technology, it's really created these really yeah. cool new directions that are influencing home technology and oh, yeah. other business technology and, and operational technologies. It's, it's pretty... I mean, it's, it's surprising that to me that if I, if I was there 15 years ago, I mean, thinking that all the innovation that would come out of select service, if someone told me that, like if Marty McFly came back from back yeah. to the future and told me that I wouldn't believe him, but it's crazy yeah. how, how it's done it. And then, so, you know, we've been looking back a bunch and then thinking about where you are and kind of this whole transition that's occurring within Marriott. Mm -hmm. um, what's exciting you most about the future right now? Oh, I am so, I feel incredibly optimistic and I, um, what excites me most? So I think mean, a lot of these things that we're talking about, I think we're at this moment, like I said, where we are forced to think very critically about what matters, what matters 
as a company, what matters to our guests, what matters to our brands, and to be part of creating those next generation experiences and processes that will deliver that. There's a, I like the, the sort of necessary rigor and discipline that is happening in this moment. Some of it's painful, you know, like some of it is not, it's not fun, but I feel like we're all going to learn a ton through it. We're going to adopt new technologies. We're going to rethink how we deliver our services, both from a design perspective and from a, a in-hotel experience perspective. How do you interact with people? What are the expectations that people have of, of, um, of meaningful interactions? What are those needs that we are designing for and, and satisfying. And from the select segment all the way through lifestyle and through luxury, they're, they're evolving. So I am super excited about continuing on this kind of very data rich, thoughtful, responsive journey with a new level of rigor and discipline built into our DNA now. Oh out of God, necessity, but kind I, of I, I had to write that down because I'm going to type that up and send it to you. That was amazing <laughs> because again, you're, I, I also, you know, you, you talk about this like data rich, thoughtful, responsive journey that if you think about, I can't even imagine, but I see all the work that Marriott did uh, post acquisition of Star of Starwood. And then it's 30 something brands, but all just how you, how Marriott, Catalog, categorized each brand experience. And I was like, I don't know how the hell they're going to differentiate all that stuff. But then really like after a year, year and a half of kind of really analyzing it and stepping out and this matrix and it like totally makes sense. It does. It makes sense. And you have, you have sort of two dimensions to it from a service and then the kind of experience. So from select through full and luxury and then a sort of classic and distinctive or kind of classic and lifestyle. And when you look at it in that way, it all starts to kind of fall into place and make, and make sense. And you need that sort of framework and discipline to make sense of 30 brands. And to I, I, to to, yeah. I totally agree. And, and I remember as the, as Mary, was working through all of that and thinking about it. And then I was seeing the results I was also just amazed and awestruck at the skill and talent by which people can take ideas and turn them into words and actions. And then ultimately like a grid that totally makes sense and you can totally experience. And, and I'm just glad. Right. And then not just a grid, actual places out yeah. there that, that deliver on what these words are and what this totally. what is positioning. Yeah. And, and, and I'm so glad like that there are other people who are good at like, cause to me, I just, I wouldn't even know where to take step one, but to see that whole progression and to see, I guess there's never an end result because we're always evolving. But um, to me, it's just really exciting to have seen people that I know get that work done, get it to where it is. And then now you're, you're off on this journey of transition. Is, yeah. Yeah, it is. So this part of the hospitality world, I am totally biased because it's the one I inhabit, but I think it is one of the most fascinating because it lives at this intersection of brand and development and operations. 
And in some ways it makes it a hard place to inhabit because you're being pulled in different directions and different priorities, but it's a, it's a kind of a, you can never, um, you will never not be challenged. You will never not have something substantive to, to grapple with because what we do is find that balance and be in some ways, the ambassador for all of these important aspects of the business from a development standpoint, from a, you know, running an operational business standpoint and from brand integrity and to have a design solution that can deliver on all of those is not always easy, but it's a really cool puzzle to keep doing in different ways for different brands in different markets with different owners and different personalities. Um, I totally agree. And like, again, going like to look back again in that 10 or 15 years ago, it was so operations and development heavy, right? I guess there was was kind of brand played it as like a tertiary role, but now I feel like they're all, they, they really managed to find this kind of, um, Marriott has definitely become, yeah, like definitely become very brand led. Um, and, 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 you know, very focused on brand differentiation. And so the strength of Marriott and the sort of single hand of Marriott, I think that legacy is always there and is part of the sort of fundamental foundational strength um, of all of our brands. But that evolution, and I think a lot of it with the Starwood acquisition um, and what that did for the portfolio, but also what it did in terms of um, bringing in different perspectives and different voices into Marriott and pushed Marriott forward in a, in a, in a kind of stronger brand led um, trajectory. But, but then I also think if you look at the operational and the development side, right, there's a PL, there's a balance sheet, whatever you can tell yeah. if, it's, if it's profitable, but the re- I think the real value, the real explosion of multiples on whatever the money being made is, it comes from that brand. It's that voice. It's that perspective, because then you're able to different, that brand can differentiate a PL and a balance sheet from just any other business. And to me, like, if you look at the most successful companies out there, they're all super strong brands with super strong perspectives in what they do. And what they do is so good. And then you contrast that to, or, and they're so good at what they do, but they're also so good at what they do because they also know that they're not good at all those other things. And like, let's focus on this thing that we do so well. And it's just inspiring. And, and it reminds me that like, yeah, how important brands are. Yeah. So the, that's the whole, you know, if you try to be everything to everyone, you're going to end up being nothing to nobody. And so the more you have to know who you are, what you're delivering, who you're doing it for. And I think in our world, there is, there is that rigor and there is that focus, but when you have 30 brands, it does, you know, there is a level of complexity that comes with that and a need for rigor and discipline. Um, And like I said, I, when you asked me what I'm excited about, I'm excited about this period of time where we are even more focused and more disciplined. The other piece of it, Dan, going in the sort of other direction of kind of bringing more into the fold um, is where we're looking for 
and doing things in these kind of close adjacent spaces that'll continue to expand our platform of offerings to our guests. So you've, I'm sure, read about our yacht that mm. um, will set sail, right? So there's, there is a new brand experience for Ritz-Carlton um, that is not a hotel, but in, in the kind of world adjacent. And you can imagine what comes next after that. What are kind of more ways that these experiences can expand into other well as i hear got, I, I did read about the yacht um and to me what i thought of and i didn't think about it when i read about it but as you're at our conversation and then you reminding me of that it's almost as if um you know our that nasa and the space program like they would do all these things like go to the moon or yeah put, put a space station up there but oftentimes okay that's cool we're doing that but really the most useful things come out of the journey to get there and like all these new technologies and experiences and get oh, born sure. from I'm whatever sure, that right. end result is. Things so I'm that excited learned, to see what comes out of this. Right. The things we learned along the way to launch that will find their way back into the other things that we are doing. And, you know, I don't know yet how that will play out, um, but I'm excited to see. And there's other exciting things. We've got a ton of traction in the residential world and branded residences. And, and we have more standalone branded residences being built than we ever have in the past. We opened, um, I don't know the exact number, I can't remember, but 10, 15, something branded residences in 2021 standalone. And so you look at how people's relationship with brands um, evolve and how they can become more a part of their lives in different ways. Well, here's one of them. So we're in a phase of, I think it's sort of that sense of people are always looking for that sense of belonging. And I'm sure you see it um, where you are. If you see condos going up, they're not just condos, they're the whatever there's a perspective yeah they're named they're branded they're the the whatever they're a lifestyle development they're generally mixed use they have all of these amenity rich components well who has been doing that and doing it well we have Mm -hmm. you know marriott has the hotel world has we know how to run retail to run to incorporate food and beverage experiences to incorporate wellness experiences and we are a brand that people trust so i think that it seems natural that there's a lot of traction that you would live in a Ritz-Carlton residence, in a JW residence, and we're seeing more and more of that. And I think that we're going to see more in the residential um, and more kind of innovative new ways to kind of live our brands um, in the future. Well, I'm excited to see it. And it is, I didn't think about that on the, even the standalone residences, single family, multifamily, like it's all happening right now. Yeah. And, and especially with this whole, with this whole baby boomer generation, like we're about to undergo a huge demographic shift as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's really exciting to see how all of this kind of plays together. Um, So Kristen, I want to go back. Oh Oh, yeah. You know, keep going. No, I was just going to say, and I think this is where you see, um, some of the cross-pollination or the migration of, of things from one country to the other, culture to others. Branded residences perhaps had more traction outside of the US, maybe in the Middle East or in Asia and are not gaining traction here. And then you look at some of the experiences that had more traction here, like in the select service world that are now gaining more and more traction 
outside of, of the US. Um, so I think that there's more of that, um, like, I guess, migration and evolution of, of these things. So some of, some of the things are already capabilities that we have, we're just finding new markets for them and people open to these, um, these experiences for the first time, even though it might not be the first time for us to be delivering it in, in other parts of the world. I love it. And then what I wanted to do yeah. is I want to go back to an, I, I, you worked as a t-shirt person for how long? <laughs> like, was it a year, a couple of no, months? No, it was not a year. <laughs> a month? No, it what, was. Um, was it in the summer? So I started at the end of August. Okay, and good. I, I would, so, and then I only, and then like my first job was, it, it started in October. So it was all of like six weeks or something. Well, great. Cause but where I, I wanted to go was I wanted to go to a hot August night. Yeah. You're, you're, you're selling t-shirts. The Cardinals are in town at Wrigley. They're playing oh. the Cubs, right? Good rivalry. Oh, that's going to be it. That's going to be it's an a hot August night. night. Yeah, that's... no, but the, po- <laughs> the more of the point is, I know it's heated. It's all that. Like it's, it's yes. the, the crowds are out. That's Yes. And then you, the Kristen Connery that I'm talking to right now, walk into that t-shirt shop and you see the younger <laughs> version of you. What advice do you give yourself on that hot August night? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I, I would tell myself to, to, to make the most of every opportunity that comes your way, whether it's selling t-shirts or the equivalent of that in the, uh, you know, when you get into your professional career in the design world, there is the, uh, you know, metaphorical equivalent of selling t-shirts. And I would say, do, do it all and do it well. Um, because the opportunity to learn and then your ability to, I don't know, kind of the empathy, I think that you develop by, kind of doing everything. And then as you go on and you're, you're, you know, I, I sometimes miss the days of, um, and this sounds crazy, but like intensive code research or, you know, just like working the system down at city hall, getting permits and whatnot for clients. Like it all was just I took it all on as like a challenge, you know, and that's kind of what we do. Like we are problem solvers, designers, architects. That's what we do. That's what we thrive on. Um, so I think I would just tell myself to, to, to put, pour yourself into every problem and challenge and new ones will continue to come. You will continue to be challenged and you won't, you won't forget, never forget what it was like kind of doing it all along the way. I love that that grind develops empathy because it really does a hundred thousand percent. So thank you for sharing. Um, Hey, Kristen, where can people connect with you? Oh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And for anyone who's around at our industry events, I tend to, uh, I tend to be there and would gladly, gladly hear from anyone there. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Kristen. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, I'll be at HD expo. I'll be at BDNY, like all those, you know, great. And we'll, we'll make sure we have a big sign for you. You'll walk around with us. I'm, I'm Kristen. Kristen, Kristen. Come say hello. Have you noticed <laughs> as we were talking that the sun has moved oh my God. and has it's, like, 
I, I, it kind of came up over the time that we've been talking and I am now like roasting. I'm, I'm roasting as well. I'm like, I got the heat blowing down on me. The sun's beaming down from the West as it gets. Yeah. So you have a Westward facing window. We, uh, yes, we, for anyone who watches, they can like view the slow passage of time across my face. It's a light. Just like the days of our lives. Um, well, Kristen, I want to say thank you so much for your time. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Um, I can't wait for many more. And thank you so much for your time. Oh, Dan, it is always such a pleasure to talk with you. Always so fun. And I'm sure we will have the opportunity to do it again. We definitely will for sure. And I don't want to forget our most, the most important part is our listeners. I, I hope this uh, conversation helped evolve your take on hospitality, what it means uh, to both give and receive and also build a career out of it. So thank you all to the listeners and we will see you next time.